Anyway, as Don said, uh, again, my name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors uh, and preachers at a church called The Trails. Uh, and uh, I became actually a friend of your pastor, Matt, a couple of months ago uh, when you guys were getting uh, prepared to plant this church. Uh, we connected because I planted uh, a couple of churches uh, over the last decade, and then I've been uh, training and helping uh, equip church planters uh, for the last number of years. Uh, and so Matt uh, called me when, they were, uh, when some of the, the guys were talking about uh, planting Trinity Fellowship and uh, I got really excited that there was going to be another uh, gospel-preaching, God-glorifying, Bible-proclaiming church, uh, and that there would be one in Ildeshane. I was very excited uh, about that. And, uh, and, and this is what our church is praying towards as well, uh, that we might see how God might continue to uh, raise up and call uh, men to be pastors and to preach and to start new ministries and to start churches that will be healthy churches that will then say, great, uh, but the goal isn't just to plant a healthy church, but how do we as a church then plant other healthy churches uh, so that we can see Manitoba just littered uh, with wonderful gospel preaching, Bible-believing, uh, healthy ministries. Uh, that's, that is a huge aim of ours, uh, and so it is a, a great uh, opportunity to be here uh, to be with you and to, uh, to be here. We, we as a church uh, have prayed for you during our Sunday gathering, uh, and, uh, and it's a great joy to do so and to know that there are others of us who are crazy uh, and who uh, meet, come what may, uh, and, uh, and serve the Lord and strive to make disciples who can make disciples who can make disciples. And so uh, as, as uh, Don said as well, I am going to have to leave right after I'm done preaching, uh, which again, uh, I wish I could say a little bit, uh, but our church uh, gathers uh, at one o'clock. Uh, and I'm actually preaching a different sermon there today. Uh, so I've got to drive there and do my mic check so that I can preach again. So today's going to be like a boom, boom kind of day, uh, which I'm very excited about. Uh, one of our other pastors, he asked me today, he said, are you more excited about like the earlier sermon or the later sermon? I said, both of them. Both of them are great texts. Uh, and I'm really excited to do that. And then uh, next week, though, uh, you are going to actually be having Charles, who's sitting right over here with his wife, Cassandra. Uh, Charles is one of our church members. He's in our leadership pipeline of some of our younger guys uh, that we're, we're praying would be raised up as pastors of our church in the upcoming months. Uh, and he is a far superior pastor and preacher to me. So uh, this week, uh, you get like the JV squad, and next week, you get the varsity level. So um, sorry that you get the JV squad today, but next week will be much better. Uh, but we are uh, really excited as well to be partnering with your church and look forward to many ways in the future that we can be able to do that together. So for today, though, we have the great opportunity of opening up God's Word uh, and studying the book of 2 Timothy. Now, I understand you're in the book of 1 Timothy, correct? All right, so we're pushing pause on that, uh, and we are going to be in the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up with me. Uh, to the book of 2 Timothy. And as you're returning there, uh, you can find chapter 3. That is where we are going to be. And if you're newer to the Bible, uh, the chapter is the big bold number. So we're going to be in uh, 2 Timothy, big bold, chapter number 3. And then verse number or smaller numbers, uh, 14 to 17. Uh, that's where we will be today. Um, and uh, I absolutely love both of these letters from Paul uh, to Timothy. If you remember, Paul is sort of an older pastor, and he is writing to Timothy as a young man, and he's writing to him, encouraging him predominantly throughout both of these letters to stand firm, 
to trust upon God's word as an anchor for his life and for his ministry in the midst of godless days and in the midst of immense false teaching that is going on in the culture that he is in and in the church that he's in. Because there are men who, Paul explains, there are men who are striving to twist the very words of God, to lead astray those who are weak. And, and they make a habit of quarreling about all kinds of words, really to the end that they want to undermine confidence in God's word. And this is not just a problem for Timothy in his day. This is a problem for every Christian in every age, as there are men that would have you have very little confidence in God's word. And in the midst, as we're living in these last days, and so today we're going to be camping out there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. And Paul here is going to command and charge Timothy to continue in the scriptures, to never move beyond them, to not progress beyond them, for it's these scriptures that make wise people unto salvation. And they are the means by which God uses in our lives to mature us as his people. I tell my kids this all the time, that, that they are little boys and little girls right now, but God wants them to grow up to be a godly man and a godly woman. This is God's main aim for them. And as a dad, this is my goal for them as well. Right, dads? We want our little boys to grow up to be strong, godly men who know what it means to be a man. And we want our little girls to grow up to be godly women who knows what it means to be a godly woman. This is our aim as God's people, as we're striving to teach the next generation what does it mean to grow into godliness. And so we have God's word actually that helps us with that. God's word matures us as his people that we may be godly men and women, competent in godliness and equipped for every good work. And this is true, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, because God's word is inspired. It is breathed out by God. It is given to us as God's gracious provision for us to sustain us throughout our lives. Kind of like that oatmeal you had this morning is sustaining you in this moment. God's word is given to us to sustain us and to grow us, to continue us as it teaches us, as God's word reproves us and corrects us and trains us in all righteousness. So God's word is meant to anchor Timothy and us in these last days, these godless days, that we also may learn to test everything that we hear, not just to blindly accept what somebody in front of a microphone on a Sunday is telling you, but to take what they say and test it. And if it does not match with this word, that man's word fails, and God's word remains true always and forever. This word anchors Timothy and us to God, that we may grow in godliness and not be led astray after some false gospel that will shipwreck our lives. So let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, and see this encouragement for young Timothy and how you and I, by extension, can be encouraged as well. So let's pray. So Father, we are thankful for your word. God, we are dependent on your word. God, we, we come asking uh, by uh, our faith in Jesus and by the power of God the Spirit, that you would in this time give us eyes to see and minds to comprehend and hearts that are soft. God, I pray that we would, as your people, be more confident in the good news of Jesus and more confident in your word and the faithfulness and trustworthiness of your word as a result of gathering together today, that we may be 
fully equipped as godly men and godly women to live out our lives in conformity with your word as we strive to make disciples by sharing our lives and the good news of Jesus with those who are far from him. We ask that in Christ's great name. Amen. Amen. So if you want to grab your Bible and look with me, uh, we're going to be in verse 14, but you'll see verse 14 starts with the word but. And so why is that there? Well, let's look, let's look real quickly at uh, verses uh, 12 and 13. Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Paul wants Timothy to know that as he strives to live a godly life in the midst of godless days, he will be persecuted, as all true Christians will, as we hold tightly onto God's word. And that, this, this testing of him, this, this uh, persecution of him, is good for Timothy. It is good for him that the tested genuineness, right, of our salvation will shine all the brighter, right, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. But then as verse 14 starts to explain, but as for you, Timothy, so, so don't be like those, but rather you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So in these verses, what Paul is doing is he's setting up Timothy to see that he is not to be like those of the evil men, all of these imposters, these false teachers, but rather he is to be like the man who desires to live this godly life as we see in God's word, right? Psalm 1, this, this tree that's planted firmly, that that sends its, its leaves out, this, this man who builds his life upon God's word. And as he does so, he'll be persecuted for it. And, and one of the first main things that Paul exhorts Timothy to do is to continue in what he learned and firmly believe. So let's, let's look at his argument. Continue in what you've learned and believe. Now this word continue means to remain there, to not go forward. Don't progress away from what you have learned and firmly believe. Rather, stay there. Persist in it. So while he might see other people that are advancing or progressing or deconstructing or going backwards in order to progress to some other foundation other than God's word, our boy Timothy is not to do so. He is to continue in what he has learned and believed. So Timothy, don't be like those who turned away from the truth and wandered into myths, those who are deceived and those who are deceiving others. No, stay, stand, keep, maintain this good deposit and guard it as we see in chapter 1, verse 14 of 2 Timothy. This, therefore, is not a passive action by Timothy, but rather it is to be an active action action by Timothy. He is to persist in this. He is to remain, to continue, and specifically continue in what? What does the text say? To remain in the sacred writings, the scriptures. It's important to note here as well that what Paul isn't doing, Paul is not defending any doctrine of scripture at this point. He's simply encouraging a younger brother in the faith on the basis of their shared belief on the validity of God's word. He's simply reminding Timothy of this anchor that he has, and he's encouraging him. He's saying, hey, Timothy, don't swerve away from it. And yet this encouragement also lets us know something about Paul, doesn't it? 
What does he know about Timothy? Well, he knows that Timothy knows and has been rooted and grounded in God's word. Right? He kind of presupposes that he already knows this about his life. See, Paul knows that Timothy has been taught well to trust the Bible, God's holy word. And how from childhood he has been taught the scriptures. We see in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 that, he, that his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were those who preceded him in the faith. And as they taught him these things, so this faith now remains in him. And so Timothy has spent also a lot of time with Paul. We see that actually if you want to look in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. They spent a lot of time together. And so Paul is really confident that, that Timothy, when tempted to join in with the false teachers around him, remember, who are progressing beyond what is written, he, he is encouraging him when he might be tempted to do that, to not progress beyond God's word, but rather to trust it, to let it be a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. When he's tempted, maybe by looking at some of the other things going around him, or maybe when he's looking at the evil of the day and he's discouraged, Paul wants Timothy to know he has a rock, he has an anchor, and that he must remain here. And these scriptures are sufficient for all of life and all of godliness. Right, so Paul encourages Timothy, continue in the word, continue in these scriptures. And I want to give a little uh, pause here, a little caveat for us, as there is much in what we're seeing today that is very applicable into our lives, and, it, and there will be. There is this, this confidence that we can have in God's word and how God's word is profitable in our lives as well, in our own training in righteousness. But I want to say off the top, you and I are not a one-for-one -one parallel with Timothy. Now, I know that you know that right? Uh, your, your grandmother, her name might be Lois, but, but, but this, your grandmother is not this Lois. And if you're like, my grandmother's Lois, but is your mama Eunice? And even if so, this is not the same Lois and Eunice. These are different women. So the, you, this is not a one-for-one -one application of like, you are Timothy. You are, you are not Timothy. I am not Timothy. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we know that we live 2000 years after Timothy, so we aren't him, but I mentioned that because Timothy ought to persist in, continue in, remain in what he has been taught about God's word. Paul isn't looking at all of us today and saying, Hey, you continue in what you've learned too, just like Timothy, unless you have the same grounding as Timothy, right? Some of us might come from different church backgrounds that teach us things that are in complete opposition to God's word. And when we're reading God's word and we have these thoughts in our mind, we read God's word and God's word says, that isn't true. We shouldn't say, but my mama taught it to me. I learned it in Sunday school, so it must be true and the Bible must be wrong. No, no, no. We bring all of our minds into conformity with God's word and we submit to it. So first off, we are not Timothy. Uh, there might be lots of things in your life. And if you are a Christian, you've been in and reading God's word for any amount of time, you will hold that to be true, that you've thought things or been taught things. And then you start studying God's word and you're like, that word isn't even in the Bible. I thought that was a thing, right? Or I thought if I just spoke things out into the universe and then God promised that I would just get it. I've been taught that my whole life. And you read the word and you're like, oh, that's, new age philosophy and not the Bible. 
right? So there's lots of things in our lives that as we bring them into conformity to God's word, you and I must jettison thoughts that are not true because God's word is true. Our thoughts are secondary. We test them by God's word. And if they don't hold to be true, we jettison them, right? On the same page? Yes. So Paul is very confident that Timothy has learned the scriptures well. So he wants our boy Timothy to hold on tight to what he knows to be true. So hear me. Paul is, first of all, not encouraging us, anyone who has just happened to be reading this letter, to remain in what you have been taught. If you were raised Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Muslim, New Age philosophy, don't just hold on to those things. No, jettison those things as you come under conformity to God's word. So, Paul's not encouraging us or anyone reading this letter to remain in what we have been taught. He's encouraging Timothy to encourage him to remain in what he has been taught, namely the scriptures, which were probably taught him by his local church and then by Paul, by his grandmother and by his mom. Those are the people we read of being around Timothy from his childhood who would have acquainted him with the scriptures, these faithful women who diligently taught Timothy the word of God and to fear God. And so Timothy, he says, remain in what you have learned. Don't progress away from God's word as taught to you by these faithful brothers and sisters around you who from childhood, they've acquainted you with the sacred writings. Let me pause as well and say just how wonderful this kind of a legacy is for our boy Timothy. This is a wonderful legacy. And for any of you growing up that have had faithful moms and grandmothers that have taught you God's word, What a wonderful legacy you have as well, by grace. What a great legacy. Those of you who have dads that taught you things of the Lord, that taught you to to question your thoughts against God's word, praise God for those men in your life. We, We know Timothy, right? Elsewhere in scripture, his dad was a Gentile. And we're never told that his dad ever became a Christian or was ever familiar with the scriptures. But we do see evidence that these faithful women taught him from the time he was a little kid to have great confidence in God's word. And so moms, especially moms that might have unbelieving spouses, or maybe if you're here, you're raising kids alone, you have this amazing role in helping impart the truth of God's word into little hearts and and see the kindness of God in using these women to do that. And brothers, fathers, remember, you are the one that God has primarily called to provide for your family spiritually. Brother, this is your role in your home. You have been called by God to provide for your family spiritually. So ensure that you are imparting a deep love for God's word into those little hearts. This is your job. Train them up in God's words that when they are old, they may not, by God's grace, depart from it. So Timothy, he says, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it. And then verse 15 explains we have another reason to continue. Listen to what it says. It says continue because uh, they have marks of divine holiness in the scriptures. Look at me at verse 15. We read, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the holy or sacred writings. And so what you've been acquainted with is of utmost importance, right? Timothy was not acquainted with hockey scores. He didn't know who the best on the ice were. But he was really acquainted with God's word. He's really acquainted with it. And this verse, by the way, is is why outside on the Bibles, uh, usually right here on the spine, what does your Bible say? It says, Holy Bible. 
usually, uh, or somewhere on it, right? In that word, that phrase, Holy Bible, this is exactly where it comes from in our Bibles. So this is why on the spine of your Bible, it says Holy Bible is, is from right here. And calling them holy writings signifies that these scriptures are holy, meaning they pertain to God. And calling them holy means that they participate in, they share the marks of holiness that God is the one who authored them. God, we remember, is the Holy One of Israel. And gather, and angels gather around his throne calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And these are his writings And therefore, these writings have marks of divine holiness upon them. So, he says, Timothy, don't leave them. God has divine qualities that are self-authenticating in the Bible, right? And when God brought this book into being over time, uh, this book shares in those distinguishing qualities. They are the very words of God to his people so that discerning eyes, those who've been given eyes to see by God the Spirit, can know that this book is of God. Right? We read it and it just authenticates itself within our lives. It gives us faith to believe that he has spoken through his people and preserved his word so that we might know him. Right, so that we might know who he is and what he is like. So we read this book and we walk away from it and we say, this book must be from the Lord. It must be. We read it and we grow in our knowledge and affections of the Lord. And so it, it kind of like authenticates the real truthfulness, the very truth of God. And God's word sustains us and it satisfies our thirst like water. and It nourishes our soul that we might continue and persevere as his people. We keep coming back to it and it screams to us as we read it this book is of the lord and we can't help but see it as god the spirit gives us eyes to see you ever think about that what keeps you coming back to god's word day after day after year after year after decade after decade the words of life are found therein it just screams to you the truthfulness of God. But friends, not everyone has eyes to see that. In fact, we read in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the knowledge of Christ as it is revealed in this book. They cannot see it. And let me just mention that if you pick up and read this book and you're unable to see evidences of the holiness of God, then the problem, my friends, is not with this book. The problem is with your eyes. Therefore, like the psalmist prays, God, open the eyes of my heart that I might behold wondrous things from your law. And so if, if you go to read God's word and you're like, I don't, I, I, man, I read it and I'm like, bro, I, don't, I get no life out of this, man. No life. I read it Monday morning, coffee before work, before my kids get up. I'm like, I don't know. I read my chapters. On with the rest of my really important day and the things that actually matter in my life. Let me assure you, the problem is not with your Bible. The problem is with your eyes. And so, dear Christian, one thing that you can pray to the Lord is, God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. The only reason that you and I walk away having any encouragement from God's word is the work of God the Spirit in your life helping you have the ability to see and to taste the goodness of the Lord in and through this book. In and of yourself, you will never come to God's word and walk away encouraged, ever. But when God the Spirit is 
whispering his words as you're reading through and applying it into your lives and convicting you of sin and convincing you of the truth of Christ, there is a great encouragement that happens. And, and we can testify that even in our own lives. And so ask the Lord to do that, to open your eyes that you may behold wondrous things. And then as Sally Lloyd-Jones writes in her wonderful kids book, strive to see how every story of the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. How does this whisper his name? Let me also say that in context, Paul is referring uh, Timothy uh, specifically to the Old Testament scriptures. He is referring to the Jewish Bible. And there are many reasons why we can and we should understand all of Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, as being God's holy word. Uh, so if you're more interested in that, uh, there's a couple of seminars and books uh, like this one uh, by Kevin DeYoung called Taking God at His Word uh, that I'm just going to leave here so that when I scurry off when I'm done uh, and you're like, I might be interested in that, uh, you can come just grab this. It'll be just free, whoever whoever grabs it. Uh, but there are lots of books, lots of conferences, lots of things online that you can study um, that will help you have really good references on, on why we believe as Christians that the Old and the New Testament are for us and trustworthy. Uh, we don't have time to cover all that today, uh, but it would be a profitable study to see how all of God's words are profitable and how they've been given that we might know him and how we ought to cherish all of scripture and read and memorize and meditate on all of scripture. So we don't have time, but, but uh, I would employ you uh, into, into that study. So let's examine so far, though, what we've seen so far uh, in our text. So Paul encourages Timothy, continue in what he's learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom he learned it, his mom and his grandmother, how from childhood he's been acquainted with these sacred writings. And then Paul explains how it is these sacred writings that hold the news of salvation, how we as sinners might might have the wrath of God pass over us by faith in Christ. So Timothy, he is to continue, to continue on in the scriptures, because the scriptures have within them the power to save sinners. See, one of the ways that we see the power of scriptures is that through the reading them, people come to a knowledge of the truth of Christ and they are saved. The scriptures have a way of making the invisible God made visible to us. And they bring conviction of sin. They illuminate the gospel as the spirit works in our hearts. A few years ago, I uh, was sharing my life in the gospel with this young guy named JD. And, uh, and in doing so, I encouraged him. I was like, hey, you should read the Bible. Like, let you read it. We'll talk about it. And so we started reading in, like, Mark or Matthew or John, you know, one of the Gospels. Uh, and then he's like, I just want to read Genesis. And I was like, he's like, it starts there. I should start there. I was like, okay. <clears throat> so he starts reading Genesis, and he gets to Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 11, God the Spirit convicts him of his sin. As he's reading all of these stories of these people who reject God, who hate the things of God, and God keeps being merciful and kind over and over and over again, and people keep rejecting him. And Genesis chapter 11, God the Spirit hit him hard and said, that's you, bro. And he said, that's me. I have rejected God just like these people. So on his bed, reading Genesis chapter 11, he admits his sin, repents, and believes upon Jesus. He's the only person I've ever met that got saved in Genesis chapter 11, right? Uh, but, but praise God. Uh, praise God for it. And if you're a Christian, you know this story well, right? Whether you became convicted of your sin by reading this book or whether it was a preacher explaining this book, or maybe it was your mom or your dad reading through with you and explaining this book, you became a Christian. You know the gospel of your salvation because of this book. This is how we know the things of God. And if you're, you're, a Christian, you're not a Christian, and you're just here maybe kicking the tires on Christianity, I want you to know as well that this is exactly what the scriptures are meant to do in your life. 
as, as it is in the, in the Bible where we read, for example, that you and I from birth and by nature are all born into this world, not as spiritually good, not as spiritually neutral, but rather we are all born into this world as slaves to unrighteousness. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. Do you remember? Choosing for themselves what is right and what is wrong. And do you remember back there in the garden, they questioned two things. Firstly, they questioned God's word. Do you remember that, that ancient foe, that slippery snake? Did God really say? Or they questioned God's word. Oh, God didn't mean that. Come on, he didn't mean that. So they questioned his word. And then what also did they question? God's judgments. You're not going to die. Pfft, that's silly. You're not going to die at all. So they believed the lies. They questioned his word. They questioned God's judgments. And you and I are now born into this world as a result of their rebellion against God with those exact same thoughts. We like them. We want to be like God. We want to choose for ourselves from birth and by nature what is good and what is evil. And we question God's word. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Come on, that's passe. This book is old school, right? We've progressed beyond this book. And then we question God's judgments. We think whether, uh, whether or not uh, oh, sorry, we question whether or not we deserve God's unending judgment for our rebellion against him. We think that sounds a little terrible. The idea of a hell, a place where God's wrath is poured out upon sinners for all of eternity future, we read of a loving God and we say, well, if I was God, I probably wouldn't do that. So God must not be like that. Leading us to worship a God who is much more like you and a whole lot less like the God of the Bible. And that's the problem. You and I, from birth and by nature, want to worship a kinder, nicer, fluffier version of ourselves because we think we're awesome, right? Think about you driving. Everyone else is a terrible driver. You're the best. And your relationship with everyone else is like that as well. You think you are God, and if everyone else is more like you, life would be better. And if God was more like you, he would be better and life would be better as well. See, friends, you and I all want the throne. We want to be like God. Did he really say that? No. This is, just a, this is just a messy ancient book. This is all cultural. We get to decide what it says. No, 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 friends, we don't. No, God, the God who created you and I, he has spoken. And it is true. And we test everything by it. Oh, well, God's judgments. Oh, they're a little old. That's a little Old Testament. You know, fire and brimstone stuff. And yet you read the New Testament, what happens to Ananias and Sapphira when they sin against the Lord? Kind of the same kind of stuff we see in the Old Testament. Well, I guess the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, wait, there's a verse about that. Yes, he is. See, we all, therefore, stand before God as guilty from birth and by nature. We are all slaves to sin, but it's even worse than that. See, you and I have Stockholm Syndrome. We love our sin. We cherish our sin. We don't want to give it up. That's why we tend to find preaching and teaching that suits our own passions and refuses to conform to the word of God. We love the darkness rather than God's word. See, we are all children of wrath who deserve the judgment of God to be placed upon us for all of eternity future, and we're all guilty of this. But the good news is that God has made a way for us to be saved from facing the judgment that we deserve to pay. And it isn't by being a better person. It's not by becoming religious. 
Rather, it is by believing that Jesus, God the Son, put on flesh, laying humanity alongside of his divinity, and he stepped into time as the God-man, fully God and fully man. And Jesus comes, stepping into time to live the perfect life that you and I ought to have lived, a life free of rebellion against God the Father. And then he who knew no sin stood condemned in our place, in my place, in your place, suffering the just judgment of God the Father, an eternity of punishment. And he stood as our substitute, and he suffered and he died, and three days later he rose bodily from the dead, conquering over Satan's sin and death. And he has been given a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. So today, you can admit your great sins before God and repent of them and turn to Jesus, believing upon him as your Savior, God, and King, and you will be saved. And Christian, this is how you became saved. This is the gospel of your salvation, as explained to you by what we read in this book. It has made us wise for salvation through faith in Christ, and it will continue to do so in the lives of countless millions until the day when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom here upon the earth. Friends, God's word is effective. So Timothy, he says, don't leave the scriptures. Do not leave them. Press on in them. Continue in them because nothing else will make you wise for salvation. And then as verse 16 begins, we read, all scripture is breathed out. It's inspired by God. And this is one of the most important sentences in the entire Bible, that all Scripture is God-breathed and inspired, but, but not inspired like a symphony or a book or a painting can be inspired. No, but a particular kind of divine influence that makes the words themselves the very word of God. As I mentioned a couple of moments ago, the immediate context here is referring specifically to the Old Testament, but, but it is right in principle to include the New Testament for a lot of reasons. I'm going to give you four of them, and I stole them from John Piper. Number one, he says, what Jesus said about his own teaching is that they are on par with Scripture from the mouth of Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, and that he had the authority of God when he spoke, John 14, 10. We can see this in many other places, but the teachings of Jesus are on scriptural level. Jesus, as God in the flesh, spoke the very words of God, right? As the word made flesh. So he believed and he taught that his own words were on par with Old Testament scriptures. Secondly, Jesus promised that when he left, the comforter would come, the spirit of truth, and guide them as these new Christians into all truth. He would bring to their minds the very words of Christ and the teachings of the apostles and the prophets would be the very foundation of Jesus's church. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. Thus, Jesus would not leave his people without God the Spirit who would guide them and lead them. Thus, if they are fearful, am I going to write this wrongly? Am I going to misremember something? I don't know. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't have to worry. God the Spirit's got this on lock. He's got it on lock, man. So, so write, and as you do so, uh, you will weirdly, rightly write down the very words of God. It's fascinating. The God the Spirit would guide them and lead them. So if they're fearful, they don't need to be. Uh, like, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but they probably weren't frantically writing down everything that Jesus said when he's on the Mount of Olives preaching. You know what I mean? Like somebody wasn't over there like, I need more ink. I need, I can't, he's been three days. I can't keep going. 
right? Nobody's running around with a, with a pen and a quill, like with, with a little ink blot somewhere. No, rather, God the Spirit enabled these men to write down exactly what they wrote and to get it right, to make sure that the Old Testament is completed in the New Testament and that the Spirit who gave the Old Testament has given the New Testament and that He has led them in all the truth that we needed as God's people for our journeys. Thirdly, the apostles claim that this is exactly what happened. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, that they were taught by God the Spirit. And then fourthly, we have evidence in the Bible where Peter uh, puts Paul's writings in the same category as holy scriptures in the Old Testament. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, where he writes, they twist Paul's letters just like they do the other scriptures. And so there is much more argumentation that could be made, but suffice it to say that in, for this moment, that in 2 Timothy 3.16, the phrase all scripture means the Old and New Testament. And so into this conversation, it's also important to note 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Now, if you're a writer in your Bible, I'm a big-time writer in my Bible. I write notes constantly in it. If you are, you should write down... 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, right next to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You should write it down. You should make a little note to remind you, in case you didn't know, that these things are connected. That these verses really are important to have a solid foundation. Did anybody pick up on my country music reference? No, nobody. Okay, that's fine. Uh, so the, these uh, verses are really important to have a solid foundation to build our lives upon. That we don't progress beyond them. And it's here where we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke as, from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And this phrase, carried along by the Spirit, is a nautical term. I don't know if any of you have been much into sailing. Uh, but when you're sailing, you throw, you, know, you throw up your sail. Is the ship, this is a pop quiz on your nautical understanding, is the sail, is it pushed by the wind, or is it pulled by the wind? Anybody know? It's pulled by it. It's not pushed by it. And this is the exact phrase that Peter uses here, that God the Spirit moved men along as they wrote exactly what they wrote in their own language, with their own uh, expressions in different genres, to different letters that they would write to different people using their own vocabulary. As they did so, God the Spirit himself was moving these men along, carrying them along, so that what they wrote down, the very words themselves, are the very inspired words of God. So that when these men are writing scriptures, they don't like go into a trance, like nothing fell from heaven, they found no magic glasses and like read it and like wrote it down. That didn't happen. No, instead... They were carried along by God the Spirit, that as they're writing, exactly what they're writing with all of their faculties, as they're doing this, God the Spirit is superintending everything that they're writing so that everything that they are writing is the exact words themselves that God would have for his people. This is also, by the way, why we don't have four books called the four Corinthians. You ever think about that? We have first and second Corinthians, but Paul wrote two other letters to the Corinthian churches. And we do not have them in God's word. Why? I don't know. But in God's providence, they are not part of the Holy Scriptures. Only the two are that we have. So as these men wrote, as they wrote pastoral letters, and they wrote apocalyptic style books, as they wrote history, they did so with God, them, God the Spirit drawing them along. And the very words themselves 
are the inspired words of God. And this is really important today because there are false teachers who, as I mentioned a moment ago, would lie to you. Men that are not too far from where we are right now who would lie to you, who would tell you that this right here is a messy, ancient book and that we can't trust everything that it teaches us because people from a different culture and a different background and a different uh, language wrote it. And so we can't trust all of God's words. We, therefore, have the great task of deciding what is God's words and what are not God's words, which therefore makes us God because we get to decide, do you remember from the garden, what is God's words, what are not God's words? And friend, you are not God. That job position is not unfulfilled. He is fulfilling it, uh, and you don't get to be it. So he gives us his word. See, there are men in uh, not too far from us who are false teachers, These men, according to Paul, are dogs lying to you about the very character and nature of God and the inspiration, inerrancy, and infallibility of God's word. They would have you believe that God's word is fallible, meaning it can make errors and it's it's not accurate because it is the work of fallen men. But friends, this is not what God says about his word. No, God's word says that fallible, sinful, broken men were carried along by God the Spirit to write exactly what they wrote. And that as they did so, God is breathing out his words so that everything that we have in this book is exactly what God himself would have us for all of life and all of godliness. That we, as men and women, as a church, would be confident and secure knowing that he has given us his words by which we can live by. So... Knowing that and knowing that this is uh, maybe something we're tempted in, it's important for us, like Timothy, to continue in the scriptures, to press on in them, to not progress beyond them. We are not to accept things, as I mentioned, at face value, but rather we're to search the scriptures, testing what we hear and seeing if it rings true with this book. We are a people of the book. God has given it to us that we might know him. And his word has been given us so we might be wise unto salvation through Christ. Yes and amen. But there's lots of other things that God's word is intended for us to learn as well. And he's graciously given it to us to teach us many things, which is where the conversation goes next. So all of scripture we see is breathed out by God and it is what? Profitable. All of it is profitable for teaching for rebuke, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, also this word is not gender specific uh, in the Greek. So ladies, this, you're also, hey, I'm part of the bride of Christ though. So even if it was gendered, that's fine. Uh, that's fine, but it's not. Uh, so it's all Christians so that all of us uh, might, be, uh, might grow into godliness, uh, that, that all of us, uh, it's profitable for all of us for teaching, for rebuke, for training, that we as the people of God may be equipped for every good work. That we have. See, because it is the God breathed word of God, it's profitable, immeasurably so. And this word profitable, we know, is used actually in a previous letter. Uh, You're not there yet, but 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, where we read bodily training is a little profitable. Little, little profitable. There's profit in this life, but what is godliness? It is profitable, it is valuable in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. So the profitable effect, therefore, of Scripture in our lives as Christians is that it leads us to being equipped for every good work or godliness. So bodily exercise, a little bit profitable. Give some time to that. 
Give some time to bodily profitability. And being equipped for every good work is super profitable. So give yourself to that, which is the Bible. The Bible is profitable to make you godly. It is the means by which God uses to make you holy, to make you repent of sin and trust in Jesus' righteousness and not in your own. And, he says earlier in 2 Timothy, it helps you as well to put away your youthful passions and to pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. Or as John Piper explains, God-exalting doctrine should lead us to God-exalting deeds which are good for people. So it's a big book. And it has a big effect on practical living. And that's what verse 17 aims at. It says its goal is to make us godly. That as we get into this book, and as this book gets into us, that it makes us doers of good. It equips us for every good deed. And you might be wondering, how does it do that? How does it do that? Well, it does so through or by teaching. Right? All Scripture is breathed out by God, and all Scripture is profitable for teaching. So lives are changed, and we are equipped for deeds through the teaching of God's word. And teaching in this verse is seen in three sequential acts. So look at God's word with me. It is seen in three sequential acts. Reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Those are the three things that it's profitable in teaching us for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So reproof, right? You're going in the wrong direction. Stop it. That, that's what reproof is, right? Stop it. Don't do those things. Quit doing that. As a dad, the number of times I say that every day is innumerable. Don't hit your brother, right? Don't do that. Don't drop that on your sister. Uh, so stop it. Don't do that. That's what a reproof is, right? Or, or, or think biblically, don't be afraid. Or, or quit doing that sin. Stop it. So, so, so that's what that is. And then correction, correcting, is helping someone to make a turn, right? So, so the teaching in the Bible is meant to correct us. We're going this way, like, nope. Go this way, right? So first it's like, don't go that way. Like, okay. It's like, go this way. Okay. So it, it, it stops you. It corrects you. Makes a turn. Lets you know you're going to ruin everything. So stop it. Let me correct you. Go this way instead. And it's teaching in God's word helps us to be trained in righteousness that we may live holy lives. So it stops us. It corrects us. And it trains us to know how we might grow as God's people. And again, if you're a parent, that's 100% of what you do. 100% of what you do. Stop it. You're this way. Let me train you. Don't slam the door at 5.30 a.m. when you go to the bathroom. Let me show you how to close the door really gently. My five-year-old is almost there. <sighs> almost there. But this is what we do with one another as well, right? As Christians, we use God's word and, and, and we help one another say, no, 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 that way will kill you. Let me correct you. Let me train you. Go this way instead. And so as Christians, we are used to God's word, letting it do what it does in our lives, is doing just that. And it's given that we might know Christ and him crucified. But it's not just given us that we might know Christ and him crucified. If it was only given that we may know about salvation, we would have like a chapter of the Bible. And that's about it. But we see that it's much more than just a tiny gospel tract. Am I right? There is so much more in here. There are so many other things in here throughout redemptive history that are helpful for us and instructive for us that we might know how we ought to live. There's so much in here. The Bible tells us how should we be a man and answers the question that some people don't know how to, what does it mean to be a woman? The Bible itself also helps you know how to be married and how to be single. 
It teaches you how to raise your kids, how to be a good church member, how to be a good member of society, how to be a good boss, how to be a good employee. It teaches you how to be good brothers and sisters unto one another. All of God's word teaches us how we ought to live so that we may have good deeds flourish out of us, that we might love our church and our spouses and our colleagues and our neighbors better, that we may say that all of life is touched upon by God's word. And people who want to say that the Bible is only sufficient to tell us about the good news of Jesus are lying to you. They are men who want to twist what God's word says because they have sin in their lives that they don't want this book to confront in them. And they want you to persist in whatever sin is leading to the shipwrecking of your faith so that you may not be stopped, corrected, and trained in righteousness. But this word does all of those things. It uncovers the deep sins of our lives, corrects us in it, and trains us. How do we grow as godly men in our lives? How do you grow as godly women in your lives? This book tells you. And so the goal of being a well-taught church a church that loves God's word and is committed to God's word isn't one that just buries itself in the classroom. You know, just, mm, books, I love books. Like, that is not the goal of a, of a well-learned church. No, a well-learned church that knows God's word. What is it marked by? The end of verse 17. What is it marked by? Good deeds. Isn't it just, just circle itself into this tiny little area, but good works issue forth from it. So it's a love that goes out into the highways, into the byways to share your life and the good news of Jesus with others. It is one that trains others in godliness by using God's word to reprove and correct and train others in righteousness. So a well-taught church member who loves God's word deeply is a man and a woman who goes back home at the end of their day and is a more humble, kind, loving, generous, and helpful person to the glory of God. All of life and all of godliness issues forth from this and trains us in it. So, Trinity Fellowship, when men who set themselves up as pastors tell you that the Bible doesn't help you know how to be a better spouse or a better parent or better kids or a boss or an employee, and the only thing that this messy little book from antiquity does, and the only thing that it gets right is that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so we need all kinds of other books to tell us how we live as God's people. When you hear that garbage coming out of men's mouth who claim to be pastors, you should just scream out loud, False! That's wrong! I wouldn't do that there. Uh, this happened to me last week as I was listening to a pastor in Steinbach who said these things. As I'm driving, I'm furious. I'm just yelling in my car, You're wrong! That's stupid! I wouldn't have said stupid, but you said it in the prayer earlier, so that's fine. Um, right? That's not right. Don't talk about God that way. Don't undermine his word that way. You're leading to people's death. And worse, as a false teacher, you know it. You're a deceiver. You're an evil man. You're a dog who's robbing from God's people. You're stealing joy from them. You would want them to persist in ungodliness just like you. How dare you? Men like that, there are very few things. You can ask my wife. There are very few things in life that get me angry or upset. I'm the third born. I'm even keeled. I'm extroverted. I'm fun. That immediately sets my blood boiling. 
I could have a colicky kid for six months. My blood pressure would hardly rise at all. But you put me in a room with a man who undermines God's word, very quickly, I got to get out of that room. Or I'm going to touch that guy in a not good way. And, uh, and I got I to, cops will be called, so I got to go. I, gotta, I can't stay. Brothers and sisters, don't listen to that garbage. These men are lying to you, and they don't care about your soul. They don't care about the souls around them. And chapter 4, we see why and what happens as a result. Is that people actually love teaching like that. Chapter 4, verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, what will they do? They will accumulate for themselves what? Teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and to wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy, he says, continue in God's word. Come what may. Continue in it. Persist in it. Do not progress beyond it. This book has been given to us, inspired by God, working through broken men. And every single word is inspired and inerrant and infallible and trustworthy and sufficient for all of life and all of godliness. And all of those words are important. Every single one of them. So brothers and sisters, trust his word. Immerse yourselves in it. If you want to grow in godliness, immerse yourself in it. If you're not a Christian and you're like, man, I don't know why this guy loves this book so much, it's because I believe there's a God who created you and he gave us this book that we might know how we could be saved from facing the wrath and judgment that we deserve for our many sins. So get into it with someone. Start maybe by reading the book of Genesis. Uh, see if you can get to Genesis 11 without being saved. Uh, or, or start reading through the book of Mark. Find an older brother or sister. Get them to start walking through little bit by little bit with you. Read a chapter together. Talk about it. What does it say? What does it mean? And help one another, Trinity Fellowship, grow in a solid foundation. There's nothing worse than a church that does not have a solid foundation in God's word. And you have the ability right now, as the men and women who are considering membership here in this church, you're all coming from various backgrounds where the confidence of the men and women who are helping lead or guide or direct that ministry is not places that probably are great health as far as trusting in God's word and being faithful to it, come what may. You have the opportunity to create a place that has a solid foundation on God's word. Don't waste it. Don't find a foundation anywhere else, some newfangled book or new ideology. No, no, no. Go back here. Here is where you can find life and godliness and hope. Here is where you will grow in godliness to be a godly man and a godly woman. Here, dear friends, let it be here. So let me pray for you, uh, and, then, uh, and then I'm going to skedaddle. So let me pray. So Father, I pray for that. I pray for the men and women of this ministry that you would work mightily in their hearts and lives, that you would stir within them an affection for your word that would be contagious. Use your word mightily in them to cause them to have hearts that trust in you, come what may. As they get into your word, I pray, God, that your word would get into them. That as they meditate on it and as they memorize it and as they study it and as they read through it and as they talk about it, that you would use your word to create in them a heart that repents of sin and trusts upon the righteousness through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. 
for your glory alone. I'm so thankful for the men and women of this ministry. God, please continue to bless them. May they persist in, remain in, continue in your scriptures, that they, as your people, might be competent and equipped for every good work. And we ask that in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Well, I think you guys are going to sing a song in response. So I'll call up the band and they can lead you in that. Uh, And uh, thanks again for allowing me the great opportunity to be with you today. And I am, again, terribly sorry that I have to leave right away. But uh, I hope this will not be the last time that we ever do anything together as churches. We should have like a huge party together. That would be great. Anyway, uh, so you guys can go ahead and stand.